I'm David Madsen, and this is Primetime 89, a chance for me to visit and talk story, check in and catch up with classmates from a generation ago, finding out how they're doing, where they are, how they got there, and what experiences they've had along the way. Lori is someone I've known since kindergarten at Kamehameha. Over the years, we've remained friends as our lives have had so many interconnections. I dated one of her cousins, played football with another, and yet another one of her cousins was a staffer for my grandfather in DC. And to this day, we still see each other at get-togethers with classmates whenever I'm able to travel back to Hawaii. Like many of us, she's come a long way from those days back in grade school. Let's hear her story. Lori. Good morning. How are you? How are you? I'm doing good. Can't good. complain. You good? Thanks. Thanks very much. I'm trying to work on my time out here in Florida and Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better. Florida, Georgia, add New York to that list. I know. I am going to come up there. Good. You know, I had congestive heart failure and had a coma after I gave birth to my son in 1998. Okay. My memories come and go. Some stuff worked. Some stuff in high school, uh, kind of blurry, <laughs> but I'll do my best. I don't have too much long-term memory. Like, I have bits and pieces. Or when somebody's telling a story, then it kind of clicks. That makes sense. Whatever okay. feels natural, whatever feels no worries. Right. <laughs> okay, right on. <laughs> uh, how do you think the classmates will remember you from your high school days? A little a little wild and a little voice, a little bit of everything, you know. <laughs> I'm going okay, with that. Okay. I, I, when I think back, I think, okay, Lori is definitely somebody who, uh, you know, she wears her heart on her sleeve, but she's got a big heart and you can absolutely hear her coming yeah, around yeah, the corner me. you're like oh here comes Lori. <laughs> yeah that was me yeah you know i'm portuguese we loud my family loud everybody talks loud everybody tries your to family, talk over Laura. everybody your family is awesome <laughs> yeah i know we love you too we have oh. always welcomed you i think oh. since eighth grade maybe seventh i forget <laughs> um i want to say between seventh and eighth I think seven yeah and eighth. because there was football yeah you and Jamie was the punch bowl. Oh, punch and Kinui, yeah, yeah, was his dad. Yeah, was the coach. Kinui, yep, and his dad was the coach. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it was. It has to have been intermediate. Good time. You know what? I still think I have that picture of you, and oh. Jamie. You know, they take like the little individual pictures. Yeah. Serious. I really think I have it. David, well, I mean, you know. the reason you got it was <laughs> probably because we gave it to you. Obviously, <laughs> you guys were the bad influences in my life at 1984 and 85. Yeah, yeah. I was you so know. innocent back then. <laughs> and in elementary, you learn how to dance yeah. <laughs> in PE. I think yeah. with Mr. Chiller, they taught us Freshly. how to dance. Freshly. Yeah, 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 yeah. They taught us how to dance and weave all those little things together too <laughs> i don't know i still cannot dance today but i mean even intermediate you know like think about we were waiters and waitresses and how we ate at the table i mean yeah. even if you didn't get that at home and you ate in front of the tv and whatever mannerisms was still taught to us like not to chew it your mouth open mm -hmm. or 
how you eat as a family and you come together and you share. I mean, besides the fact that everybody in seven and eight grade heard me, you and Jamie's name called every day to go to Mr. Nagatani's office. <laughs> I think he just, you know, his day wasn't complete unless we had a little conversation. I think so too. And I think I was the female balance to that. So we're all good. Yeah. Cause you know, we was little rascals. I know. Um, Miss Harbottle thought that I was such a rascal in elementary. I, mean, I think she told me more than once that I wasn't going to amount to anything. Like, you know, <laughs> she was feisty. But, hey, you know, I, I am grateful for that now that I think about it. You know, like, if I didn't have that, I don't know, you know, structure and foundation, all of that. I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my family, okay? But the structure and foundation in my family a little bit different than the structure and family at Kamehameha, you know? Like, it was a happy balance. I got this whole structure and mannerisms, and then there was my family just titamoke out. No one gets structure. You say whatever you like, man. <laughs> I tell you what, so, I, what you just said kind of brought a thought to mind. So Miss Harbottle, super smart, lovely woman, she was tough she was scary but you know what even if she said that you know oh you'll never amount to anything i bet it deep down in her heart she knew you would that's a, the school of tough love you know i agree i i think culturally that's that's us you know, depending how you interpret that it it can be you know negativity was set as part of that should be your motivation to do better and live above the line rather below the line yep Hey, no, get me wrong. I never think that I wasn't going to amount to anything because I was a 13-year senior at Coming Now. Yeah, <laughs> if I right. never become one product of that, that's a damn shame. <laughs> <laughs> but, sure. hey, speaking of the mama stories, I had so much detention when I graduated. Some of that detention wasn't my fault because You're my mom drove me to detention. school. What's that? Yeah, no, yeah, that too, because I hung out with certain people. But, you know, I used to be late to school, but I didn't drive myself to school. My mom drove me. I didn't control when my mom left the house and when she was ready. You know, some days I would just sit there and she's not ready to leave yet. And so I would be late. And then I was the one that would get punished. And I remember having arguments with my mom in the car every morning. What a way to start school. Oh, telling her it's all your fault that I'm going to get detention because <laughs> I'm late. So same thing, you know, she go call the office and yeah. tell them that it was her fault. But you, you would think that would take away my detention. It didn't. Yeah, but the janitors was nice. They would hook me up signing off my detention because they felt sad for me because I had so much hours. Oh, sweet. <laughs> hey, I think Barboza went hooked me up now that I think about it. I think yeah. he was the one who introduced me to that because I think he was taking advantage of that system too. I, I can't say about intermediate though. That's when I really started to check out and kind of be like, yeah, I'm over this. But I've come a long way from that mentality, you know. Um, I just know that even cutting out a class has taught me to be more accountable and responsible as I got older. Like, how dare I do that, mm -hmm. you know? Was there <laughs> any of your former teachers that left a positive impression on you? My most favorite teacher was Miss Fisher in elementary. You know, she was always very supportive of me. I can say throughout my life in Kamamel, she checked on me and I thought that was wonderful. 
she was just so loving and you know what I think maybe she was my therapist back then and I just never know what that was because you know I could tell her all my problems at home or whatever it may be and she would always make me feel like I mattered at the end of the day I think that's becoming our theme yeah that we matter she did leave a lasting impression you know she also helped me understand the value of what being Hawaiian is because you know when we went Kumamana they would always tell us there's so many Hawaiians or children waiting to be in your seat get 20,000 more waiting for your seat (laughs) You got to eat the peas on your plate or fling them out the window and you're in fourth grade, put them on your spoon and see who can go further. Oh, wow. I'm starting to make myself sound like one rascal from elementary. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Lori, that's right. People will Lori, remember I'm me shocked. for being a Not even I did those kinds of things in elementary school. Oh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Let's see, it wasn't in my fourth grade class, but I know in my fourth grade class, that's what we did. I, I want to, maybe it was Travis that taught me that. I forget. I, I know. Great memory. Definitely. Yeah. Do you have any mementos that you kept from high school? Oh, God. I have a lot. Yeah, I have like this little treasure box of stuff that I just kept. And, you know, I have a lot of pictures too. So this is one of the things that, that I got from... From our graduation song contest. Oh, song contest. That's right. I, I have that definitely now that I see that. From, from what track. the heck is that? From track. And back then I had okay. more hair to cover Obviously. this area. So it, it, you know, it didn't look as funny back then. <laughs> the MD, they get the kind, um, the kind, grow your hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm it, sure you can write yourself it, one prescription. It doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> and then was was there any memory from high school that really left an impression on you to this day? I can tell you one of the things that stick into my head majority of the time is, you know, I hung out at what we deemed back then, me and my little groupie, um, called the bench, which is right outside the um the library, you know, Lanakila used to sit on the wall that's behind that bench. Yeah. And there are a few times, got to jump off that wall down to the ground. And I just have that in my head every so often. It comes to me and just to, he went off the wall and stood up and ran back up the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> like, who does that? <laughs> It just makes me think about survival, you know, to be honest. That's what I think about when I think about him jumping off the wall. Like, oh, if Brad can go that down and come back up alive, so can I. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, metaphorically speaking, (laughs) you can hit the bottom and come running back up and try again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and not be afraid to, uh, to do that and take the risk. Yeah, I think about that every so often. Especially when I'm up at school and I see the wall and I, you know, get PTSD. I know that word now because I'm in the field. Yeah, back then I never thought of words. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think we had everything at our dining room except sushi. There was also those, the caramel brownies. Oh, the holly brownies? Oh, sorry. Yeah. So I'm like, ooh, shepherd's pie. They're like, we don't call that anymore. We call it something else. I'm like, oh, 
Holly Brownies, they, they look at me like I, I just committed a sin. I'm Holly. To me, they're Holly Brownies. They've always yeah. been that. They always will be. No, I totally way. agree. Uh, but Holly, you know, that whole Holly word is really Hawaiian language. So why could we not use it? Maybe not Brownies, but, you know, they get like Spanglish. Why can't we have like Hawaiianglish? Yeah. I definitely would not be who I am today without Kamehameha, uh, all the way down to my doctorate degree. And when people ask me who I give credit to, it's KS all the way. Uh, I, I am so proud basically to be a graduate of Kamehameha and to take that for granted as I got older and I realized how much we really had uh, you know, down to other public schools having to wash sports uniforms, right? Here you go, mm -hmm. get off sports. All you do is drop your stuff in one bucket. <laughs> then they know, yeah, oh, number 50 belongs to so-and-so or whatever, you know? And just the things like that, even when I had my own kids and they went to school and they're yeah. coming home with this paper and I'm like, uh, where's the book? And they're like, mom, we can't bring home the book. I'm like, what do you mean you can't bring home the book? No, that ain't right. So mama bear goes to the school and was like, I need the book. And they're like, oh, we don't, we don't allow the book, but we can print up pages for you. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so just simple things like that at Kamehameha, mm -hmm. how we had it so good. After graduating from high school where we're sheltered, we find ourselves in the real world with all its adult privileges, responsibilities, and vulnerabilities. And we're no longer just spectators watching it from the sidelines. We're living it. What were some of the things you thought, you know, life was gonna be like after high school? You know, we all look forward to getting out of high school. And then I wanna say, you know, you think that life is gonna be like, the after party, well, some of it is, right? But um, yeah, adulting struggle is real. You'd <laughs> <laughs> rather live at home for free, sort of, and <laughs> have a car now I have to get my own stuff. Yeah, yeah. adulting hard. So what did you think yeah. you were gonna do after high school? I had a really good job at First Hawaiian Bank. Mm -hmm. So I really thought that was gonna be my path we counted money by hand. They didn't have like the machine. You put the money in and then it like can recognize like bills that are not in the same category. Yes, it could count the bills, but it never separated it. Like how it technology advanced over time. I worked in the business section and one of the accounts that I had uh, that came in with the Loomis trucks. Can you imagine how much? cash <laughs> flowed in with those deposits especially towards the holidays and then you were counting good, by hand. good half mil yes 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 <laughs> by hand even when we um audit like the vaults by hand literally arthritis in the finger kind of thing it was all by hand so Whoever's a bank teller today, they should be really lucky because the machine spit out the money for you. Can say, you know, we've come a long way when it comes to money and technology. So what <laughs> led you to leave the bank for other things? Yeah, so I was victim of sexual harassment. 
my manager totally did some inappropriate stuff and like when we would count money in the in the vault just say some really inappropriate stuff and one day he just showed up at my house <laughs> at my apartment I was like I'm done I can't do this Wendy was my roommate at that time and thank oh, god oh god you don't even want to know the story and she was the one that really helped me to say and realize like Lori this isn't right I learned a lot from that and back then sexual harassment wasn't really a big thing. I think it started to become more of an awareness. I had a pretty good position at that time, so that's when adulting got real, by the way. Needless to say, this person, you know, knew a lot of people, so I didn't file no lawsuit or anything. I just left on good terms. Of the tens of thousands of people we'll meet over our lifetime, there's just a few who will have an impact on our lives, and fewer still who will influence the path we choose to follow. I get indoctrinated in behavior because I have people that come to me for death and dying. It's not easy, and you're really impacting someone's life, and I know that it's hard, you know, because you see people go through their journey. I mean, you got to take all of that into consideration that these people also have families and they, or they may be somebody's mom or, you know, somebody's daughter. And for me, I can't help but think about those kind of things when they're telling their story, like everyone has a story and uh, like how we talking story now. I mean, it impacts other people in different ways and their journey is so precious and you can learn from it, you know. It, it takes a certain kind of person to have the patience and the attention and the interest to listen. I appreciate you and I appreciate the things that you do because we also need people out there to listen to us when, when we got problems ourselves and that we need help getting through. So you're good. Yeah, I totally agree. I can tell you one story that totally impacted my life. Woo! And choked up just thinking about it. That totally changed my perspective in my career early on, you mm -hmm. know. So I've been in this field for, let's just say, 15 plus years. Okay. <laughs> and I was in graduate school. One of my professors during my intern come said to pick one population, you know, you definitely want to work with and one population, you know, you definitely do not want to work with. Well, because I was a awesome amazing adolescent I just thought I was so perfect I didn't want to work with adolescents <laughs> no <laughs> and it is also the one population my passion went to after that whole experience so I met this family four local boys mm -hmm. I got to uh, actually have all four of them pass through my life through mm -hmm. the juvie system and both their parents were incarcerated and they were raised by their grandma, who was 100% Native Hawaiian on, on paper. The two babies out of the four um, spent a lot of time with me because they would go in and out of the system, in and out of the system, in and out of the system. And one day, you know, I sat down with them and I was like, why? Why do you do this? You know, so obviously it's because they know nothing better. You know, they only know how to steal. That's how they were taught. That's, it's that whole nurture versus nature thing. But yet they just, they were so loving. So I asked what would be the one thing that if they could change anything in their world. And both of them said that they would like to take care of their grandma. And 
The other one, he went AWOL. Then I had the baby and he started doing good in school mm-hmm. and started getting A's and B's. So he got to leave the shelter and return, integrate back into the community, doing really good, so good. He came back. And I asked him, I'm like, what are you doing here? You're doing so great. Why did you come back to the system? And he's like, I don't know what it's like to be happy. And although this is what my expectations are, it still doesn't bring me happiness. It's just meeting everyone else's needs, but not my own happiness. And that then became my whole concept of what does happiness look like? You know, the same model I keep, I I think that's what set the foundation of my whole path to my career was what does that look like? Well, anyways, needless to say, this rascal kid (laughs) was the first to graduate high school out of his four brothers, like literally walk. Grandma cried. Then he decided he was gonna join the military. When he finished basic training, she wanted to surprise him. And at basic training graduation, he finally said to me, I know what it's like to be happy and it's seeing my grandma cry and smile. And that's what makes me happy to know that I, I made her happy for all she done for us. Uh, right after basic training, grandma passed away. That boy today still keeps in touch with me. He is an officer in the military. He decided to get out of the army and then he joined the Air Force. He is now a pilot in the Air Force. Amazing. I mean, it's so amazing. His path is so amazing. He's my one success story. And when I do teen stuff, I always ask him to come and talk to show these teens, you know, these foster kids, because that's what they were, that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And if you believe in your dreams or one step at a time, that you can, you can do it. It's, it's that story also that helps ground myself when I want to give up sometimes and be like, I'm so done doing this. <laughs> I'm just done. And then I think about, I think about Cal and I'm like, no, no, no. There's so many more lives to work with. Like, no, I keep doing this. Pay it forward. Butterfly effect. Let's go. Yeah. That, that so, kind of story yeah. where we could see that success. I mean, that's got to be motivating. He is about is helping you to connect to your inner self, no different than the man, you know, like, sure, it's so easy to see the negative, but there's so much more. And that's why I say, you know, it's not about doing life. It's about living it. Mm-hmm. Take every opportunity you can to live it. You know, what legacy are you going to live for yourself and leave behind for whoever? What an opportunity to change someone's perspective. I I just attribute that to us as locals, you know, as who we are from Hawaii, because my patients in California and, you know, in the mainland, you know, they say that, like, you're just a different kind of therapist, you know, it's like, I can tell you genuinely care. It's not just this book stuff that you bring and the big thousand dollar words, or, you know, you make it for us to understand and that's our local culture, you know, our whole family, whether they got to tell the story 10 times until you get them, they're going to tell you the story 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> like a broken record. And it's, it's the connection that makes it really special and worth doing, I think. Absolutely. Anyway. Oh, I agree. 100%. Totally. And it doesn't matter what occupation you're in. It yeah. doesn't matter what you do. I just think old school local style like this is who we are and we can't change that 
yeah. I also attribute that to KS, you know, like you we're know. different. So Laurie, what, is, what does um, Hawaii and being Hawaiian mean to you? So Hawaii is always going to be my home. Um, you know, being Hawaiian, I can say over time, I guess the value of being Hawaiian has changed significantly for me. And the meaning of it has changed for me, not so much. Like in my family, it had meaning, but out in the public sector, it had a totally different meaning for me. And it wasn't until I went to work for Kamehameha Schools that the meaning of being Hawaiian changed for me. And I, I can say, I can now see it as something that's unique. And, you know, we are a dying race and that's the reality of reality. So being Hawaiian is, is priceless, you know, like the sense of pride changed mm -hmm. um, for the better. I can definitely say that. I belong to this education research group that is part of the world WIPSI. And so I want to say, I feel a little bit connected in essence of wanting to do research and develop curriculum and pass down Manao and things that can carry on. I mean, sure there's research, but at the same time, a lot of research is not based on all the cultural ethnicities that one person may carry at one point in time. You know, it's categorized to what people deem as their primary identity. Yeah. I, I can tell you, even when I worked in the prison system, you get Filipinos from the Philippines checking off the native Hawaiian. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, dude, not only are you skewing the census over here to get all these native Hawaiians in jail, like, brah you get one hardcore filipino accent how are you gonna tell me you native hawaiian you know yeah, and then yeah. i ask them how are you native hawaiian no can you even answer <laughs> i think dude you're skewing our statistics making us look like we get a big population and we might not even have that much you know our culture we made fun of every ethnicity you know my, my grandma wouldn't say you know, go to the Chinese man store. She's like, go to the pocket store across the street and this is what you get and blah, blah, blah. And I remember as therapist, you know, I got to put this disclaimer out. Yes, I, you know, mental, psycho, whatever, whatever anybody wants to like categorize me. So I had my own therapist, right? And hey, it's my lingual, you know, pocket, blah, blah, blah. And then she started just telling me that I was so racist and I so I was like okay let me look up the meaning of racist so I came back and I was like okay I'm not racist you know I, I think the more PC word is prejudice and we all have our own prejudices but like you said it all depends on the context you know in which you which you take the word but that whole connotation denotation thing I think comes as part of that cancel culture and part of, yeah, sometimes I feel robbed, like you canceling me of my own culture. Because even my dad, he's like, it's not Portuguese, it's Portuguese, you know? Portuguese wrote on the boat, Portuguese just went give Bert anywhere. Hey, but Ferreira, there's nothing more Portuguese than that, you know what I mean? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You know, COVID also played a role in this and we're in a psychological, social suffering. 
you know, we use technology. I mean, look, me and you, we stay talking straight over here on this Zoom thing, but presence, I think that whole exchange of ha is so very important. I, I can see how that whole psychological social suffering has even impacted people's mental health. You know, um, I don't know if people know, but suicide rates are up, domestic violence is up. Mm -hmm. I mean, good for me, I get job security right now, but at the same time, I can also say my clientele change. I have more men in therapy than I do women. So to me, that just speaks a lot about societal changes, uh, self-acceptance, or maybe even some of the turmoil that people are feeling because of this whole sociological distancing and how the context of just socializing has changed with this whole PC culture, cancel culture thing. People don't know what to do or who to believe. So I love what I do. You know, I don't see myself retiring. Work is not work for me. It's, it's an investment in others. And it. I can tell you, you know, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is I am guilty of that person that chased money. I had two kids as a single mom, but now I make ooh, less money. I mean, people think doctors are rich, but with doctors, you get pills. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, that is true. Yes, I see it as such a blessing. What's something in your life that you've done that you're genuinely proud of? Just had this conversation with my daughter. I told her one of the most proudest things I am about myself as a single mom, that I raised my two kids. It was just me, my sole, sole income. We struggled. There was times where, you know, we had to share a plate lunch for dinner um, between the three of us because times were hard and it was hard. You know, there's times we went it without electricity, but, you know, my pride didn't want to ask my parents for help or anyone for help. I said I would figure it out. Yeah, you know, pride gets in the way. So, but, <laughs> but regardless, my kids and I are super close. They are super close with each other. At the end of the day, no matter how much trouble they get in or things that they have dabbled in that didn't have the best outcomes, as I tell them, my pride comes in the fact that they have mannerisms and they know how to give the shirt off their back. They may make poor decisions. It just doesn't make them bad people. I know sometimes I think I taught them too much of my shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> So my daughter has a lung disease, a lung problem, yeah. So they had diagnosed her with asthma for the longest time, right? Mm -hmm. But all the asthma stuff, like abuterol and all of that, it, it wouldn't work. I mean, it was a temporary fix for maybe a short period of time, but it didn't help. Mm -hmm. And we got this awesome doctor who, Cara Relita was her nurse at the time, mm -hmm. and she helped my daughter out a lot. Her air tubes are super small. Okay. It, so it mimics asthma, but it's not. Yeah. So they have okay. to put a stint. Yeah. But because of COVID and because she, it's a respiratory thing, they told her she has to wait until COVID like literally slows down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she goes through some breathing problems every so often. Like, yeah. Like it, she can't exercise or, you know, like it's mm -hmm. really hard for her. She's had that for a while and she knows when it, her oxygen is really bad because she gets this racky raccoon. That's what I call her because 
the area around the eye comes super dark. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't help that she's severely anemic. So she's got like two issues going on at once. My daughter had to do a lot of tests during her senior year and, you know, all this other stuff. And then she volunteered to be like uh, this research project for the military because she has military insurance because my ex-husband's military. But this guy, <laughs> one day he decided he was going to take her out on a first date. And um, he waited like when she had to go for tests for like four hours. He drove her. He waited and... So, of course, you know, me is like, you know, that's really rare for a guy to have that much patience, you know, and wait for you and yeah. not leave and come back and pick you up and all mm -hmm. this other stuff. And he told my daughter that he would wait until she turns 18 or whatever. And, um, yeah, they just remained friends. And then it was the summer of her mm -hmm. turning 18. And he asked her out and she said, well, before you take me out, you have to meet my mom. And my mom has to like approve of you before I go out with you because my mom's psycho. <laughs> yeah, and he was very, very, very just respectful and polite. And I watched him because we lived in this apartment building. So yes, psycho crazy mom. I walked out to the balcony and he opened the door for her. It was like, Prada had the thumbs up. <laughs> in my personal life and in my professional life, I can be such the introvert. <laughs> I, I can tell you every client that I worked with, whether it's a repeat story or not, has totally impacted my own journey. Makes me appreciate what I do have. Mm -hmm. You know, we take simple things for granted. Just the fact that we can blink our eyes every day you know and then you think well how the heck do you stay motivated <laughs> mm. how the heck do you get up every day even though the struggle is you know you still push through yeah. and that's so empowering on my part I mean sure it's empowering on their part too but it just helps me to do what I gotta do and what I want to do and what I love so much and I wouldn't change anything not not nothing in my path Lori on being 50 and meaningfulness in her life. After a, a tough day or a busy day, what's your go-to to unwind? Well, it's always been some form of exercise at the end of my day, even if it's at 11 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. I, I just got to purge my day. Like everything that I picked up emotionally, um, you know, my job can be very uh, draining, very much like yours, because people suck the energy out of you sometimes. So. It allows me to decompress and I guess be with my inner self, my, my inner voices. <laughs> yeah, things like that and let, let go of the day. Uh, prior to 50, I can say that whole local codependent culture uh, pretty much radiated throughout my life. <laughs> I would sacrifice my happiness for everyone else's happiness. I no longer do that anymore. Not even for my kids. So it's all about me, myself, and I. What I want to do, what makes me happy, choose what I want to choose, eat what I want to eat, mm -hmm. without worrying about, oh, my God, I ate one whole gallon ice cream. Oh, well, tomorrow's another day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are your thoughts or feelings about, hey, year 50? I embraced 50. I was okay with turning 50, but as you practice the word. 50 that was the part that was the struggle yeah just saying 50 
see. I will say at age 49, I went through my midlife crisis. As a matter of fact, October. <laughs> October of 2020. I mean, you know, I, I know there's the bads of COVID, but 2020 was good to me. It really helped me think about life. I had opportunities that came forward for me in the beginning of the year for a position uh, that was amazing. And, you know, my dad said to me, know your worth. And I started to think, wow, yeah, I'm going to be 50. What do I know about my worth? Like, I have this perception of what my worth is. And I work damn hard to be 50. Mm -hmm. I remember when my parents turned 50, you know, I remember when my cousins turned 50. So I started to think like, wow, I'm at, I'm at that 50. And I definitely do not want to live the next 50 doing the same things. I want to live life now. I don't want to do life. The first 50, I think I, I did what I needed to do to survive. I, I did get a job. I did get an education. Now I want to relish in the fruit of everything that I did and now I have such a greater meaning of life at age 50 so 50 is gonna be the foundation to new beginnings and appreciating where I've come what I've got and living it beyond will be about living life and and doing life you know I guess we travel more I think one of my biggest lessons in life is you know, that codependency thing of, you know, all these other people in my life is going to create my happiness. And I started to ask myself, like, why am I looking for happiness in education? Like, maybe this is the reason why I got a doctorate degree, because I thought the higher I go to my pinnacle, the more happy I would be. That's some BS. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, it becomes with bigger expectations. No different than the more money you make, the higher stress you have. The more money does not make life, no. you know, easier. The more money you get, the more you spend. Or sometimes, you know, you end up chasing it. Like, I'm guilty of that, too. You don't really think about all the other variables. Because all you see is the dollar sign, right? The ching And I think the best way that I've learned to understand money now is money is really a tool. It's a tool for life and how you do life and how you can go back to that concept of you can't give from empty pockets. You know, you can use that money as a tool. You can use that money to gain resources to help other people, right? Because you know that that's going to be like the butterfly effect where it just keeps continuing and continuing and you just pass it on, right? Um, Pay it forward kind of thing. And you just don't touch one person when you do that. You touch a lot. You may never, ever see the fruit of your work or you may never, ever see the fruit of that investment, you know, because you don't realize what goes beyond just that one person's life that you may have touched. Mm -hmm. Going back to everyone knows where they look for happiness. Some people look for happiness in alcohol. Some people look for happiness in religion. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, the one thing you need to ask yourself is, did you find what you're looking for? Mm -hmm. And if you didn't, then you should check yourself and understand that happiness really starts within. What would you say would be the meaning of life? You know, my simple answer is the meaning of life is love, period. 
it can come in many different forms. It can, you know, it could be something you witness. It can be something that you, you experience. I look at it as the meaning of life just applies to your five senses, you know, like you might love ice cream <laughs> and that may be the life, you know, like when you depress, you want to go eat the whole gallon or, you know, like my, my kryptonite is cookie dough ice cream. You know, it, it's, it's like that whole mind, body, soul, spirit mm -hmm. connection that I think matters that creates that happiness. And in Hawaiian concept, mm -hmm. what is that? The, the lokahi thing where it's, God, man, and and then Kamehameha came out with that Lokahi wheel where um, there's all those little components of wellness. And mm -hmm. that is what my dissertation is actually built upon is, you know, Native Hawaiians had this concept of well-being way ahead of time before Western culture from the research that I that I've done. And and then Western culture came out with the wellness wheels and the piliuhane, which meant spirit, your na'au, your mana'o, your kuleana. And when we think about all these things in our lives, I mean, ours was pretty simple. Do you have a philosophy that you live by that summarizes how you approach life? I got to take care of me, myself, and I before I can take care of anyone else. So it's kind of like that airplane theory I always use, you know, when the mask falls from the airplane, whose mask you put on first, you or your children or the people around you, you, you know, because you only can help the people around you when you can stand on your own, you know. Or, you know what, I don't know yes. whether, whether it's because we're both Portuguese or what, but there's, it always feels like there's so much more left to be said and that we're always getting cut off early. Because I like talking to so you sorry. some more. <laughs> Thanks, David, so much. Hey, take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Primetime 89. I'd like to thank our guest, Lori Ferreira, for taking the time to talk story with us. I'd also like to thank everyone who helped put this together. Jamie Barboza and Nicole Yoshimitsu, Wendy Brown, and Kaylee Aquaro. And a special thank you to Drez, Dwayne Andres for the music, and Elizabeth Matson with production and editing. I'm your host, David Matson. Be sure to like us and follow us at Primetime 89 Hawaii, where you can see photos of our guests and their stories. And subscribe to get the latest updates and news of upcoming episodes. And join us again with another classmate on Primetime 89.